The reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. I was ordained on April the 1st. I guess that's um, probably um, a bit of a joke, really, isn't it? Um, the idea of being um, ordained on April Fool's Day. One of my, one of my first uh, sermons in the, the church in Lowestoft, where I began, was on this passage that we read together today. So Philippians um, was the letter that I began with in 1982, um, and Philippians is the, is the letter that I thought would be good to kind of end with as we come uh, to these next seven weeks um, up to the end of February. I did mention that maybe it would be good to have some tissues available um, uh, for, for this time, and someone that's very kind and put them under the, uh, under the pulpit. Um, well, who knows? Um, they are here anyway if um, anyone should, should need them. True Christianity is really beautiful. And I think that um, we, we perhaps sometimes underestimate the fact that Christianity is a very lovely thing when it is at its best, when it's honest and direct and personal and relational, it is beautiful. And of course, when you read a letter like this, and it's good to remember that um, the books of the Bible do contain letters, and letters are letters, they are personal communications between one person and another, or a group of people and another group of people. Here, Paul and Timothy, and the people who are in Philippi, and a particular mention to the elders and the deacons. We've got elders and deacons here at this church, and the elders and deacons are going to be meeting tomorrow evening on a Monday evening. That's on tab news, and it's good to remember that. It's important to remember that the church is an organic thing. It's um, something that's alive. It's alive because we're related to the living one, Jesus, but it is also an organization. It does require some effort to get it to run. 
So there are elders and deacons and there are other people that serve in the life of the church because um, the, the contact we have, the living contact we have with the Lord Jesus Christ and the feelings that we have for him are really essential if the church is going to work and if it's going to be beautiful at all. But in order for us to function in our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with each other, there needs to be people who do things to oil the wheels of that activity. And of course, writing a letter, writing a letter to encourage and to inform and to direct is, is one of those areas of organization. It's a personal letter, yet it's saying something which is of importance for the church to run smoothly as the church. The church is a beautiful thing. It's a remarkable group of people that are bound together for no other reason that they are related to Jesus Christ. Very different people, different personalities and backgrounds, different interests, who in their time outside of um, church on a Sunday might be involved in all manner of different things. But brought together are a, a group of people that are bound together by Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing when the church works really well. In fact, um, uh, Paul says that the, um, that the church is in Christ and it is in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. A Christian is someone who is related intimately to the Lord Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with him. But also they have a certain geographical location. We are in Christ, in Philippi. In Christ, in Lansing. We belong where we belong. We work out what it is to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ here in this particular geographical setting. Now, Philippi was a, a Roman colony. It was a very special colony. It was a, somewhere you wanted to live. It's kind of like a Hove Actually kind of place um, to live. Very proud of their location. But Paul says... You're in Christ, you're in Philippi, and later on in Philippians, in chapter 3 and 20, he says, you are a colony of heaven. You are those whose citizenship is in heaven. It's important for us to recognize that as Christians, we're a community founded by Jesus, we're attached to Jesus. It's our relationship to him that makes us who we are. It's the most important thing about our identity, the most important thing about our relationship, that we are in Christ Jesus. And for us as Christians, if there's going to be any kind of particular difference in our lives as a result of being Christians, we need to remember that we are attached to Jesus and our attachment to him is the most important thing about us and our drawing life from him and truth from him and direction from him. Apart from... Jesus, apart from being in Jesus, any attempt to worship, to witness, to live as a church, just has no value. It makes no sense. It is all about Jesus. And that's why in this letter that Paul writes to the Philippian Christians, 
he kind of breathes the name of Jesus again and again in these four brief chapters. There is something very beautiful about the church when it thinks about its identity in Jesus and doesn't get distracted. There is a little story at the, uh, at the end of Philippians in the fourth chapter about two women. Two women who had worked together harmoniously in the church, presumably in leadership, and they, perhaps the deacons in the church, but they'd fallen out and they were not talking to each other. Sometimes beautiful places can be marred by less than beautiful behavior. Paul wants people to remember that they're in Christ and to behave as though they're in Christ. He says to those women, and we'll come to that in chapter 4, I urge you to agree in the Lord. Remember who you are. Remember that your identity is not based on winning the argument, having the last word, being seen to be right. But your identity is in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. That's what you are. That's what gives you value and purpose. Life is too short for anything other than Christ and him alone. When he thinks about the people in Philippi, he wants the best for them. All church leaders want the best for their congregations. Um, All the best, he says, or... In the words of the New Testament, grace and peace be to you. The undeserved favor of God and the well-being of God. doesn't get better than that, does it? Connected to God, not because we're good, but because he's good and generous to us. And the peace of God that comes into our souls. God gives the blessing of his peace to us. God gives the blessing of his grace to us. And that's good. What does a church leader think when they think of their congregation or they think of a congregation that is particularly important to them? Paul writes to the uh, Philippian Christians and he's like a pastor thinking about his congregation and he says, I thank God every time I remember you. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, You kind of think, well, you know, it might be, oh, not them again. But it's not. It's I thank God every time I remember them. And of course, um, as I look out at you today and, and think about you as individuals, for every one of you, there is some reason why I am thankful to God. Obviously there is. Because over time, with relationships developing, you, you see things. You notice things. I know something about your backstory. You know something about my backstory. And in that story, there are lots and lots of little moments where I thank God because God has been at work in your life. God has been at work in your life, maybe to be a blessing to me or a blessing to others. Every time I remember you, I give thanks for you. Now, it reminds us that, that Paul was at a distance from the Philippian church here. He was in prison. He wanted to come and see them, but he was not, unable to come and see them. He needed to write a letter. And, of course, letters 
do remind us of distance. Letters, emails, texts. Usually you receive them when someone is not sitting next to you. I know you can receive a text when someone's sitting next to you. I know that's possible. But generally speaking, they speak of distance and a longing to communicate over miles, sometimes over many miles. There's something beautiful about that kind of remembrance. And as he remembers uh, things in the life of the Philippian church, he says there is something beautiful about the, the partnership that they've experienced together. I always pray with joy, verse 4, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippian church was the first church in Europe. It was the beginning of, of, of our experience of Christianity in Britain, if you like. Um, it was a real Rubicon. He stepped over into um, this new place. And he went to a riverside, and by the riverside there was a prayer meeting of women. The first church in Europe began with a group of women praying. It's interesting how churches through the centuries have either begun or been sustained by praying women, praying people. Perhaps that's a, another stir to get together with two or three people over the next week or two and pray for 10 to 15 minutes about crucial issues. It is astonishing what can be accomplished when a few people get together to pray. Here was the beginning of a church, the beginning of the Christian gospel in Europe, and it flowed out of a group of people praying in a place about their need of the living God. I delight in your partnership. And on that visit, a very wealthy woman was converted. And on that visit, a slave who had been trapped by evil spirits was converted. And a man who was the head of a jail was converted. A woman, a slave, and probably a Gentile, converted. Um, a reminder that the good news of the gospel comes to people in every shape or form. The gospel is not just for one particular grouping, one social group, not just for men or for women, it's for, for everybody, whatever your status. And from that beginning point, the, the Church of Philippi had a, an important relationship with the Apostle Paul. And Paul writes about that later on in, in the letter. Um, people do tend to get involved, don't they? You spend time together, you kind of worship together, you, you serve together and you get to know people. People become special. You begin to pray for them. You begin to own things that are important to them. It just kind of happens, doesn't it? as time proceeds. There's something very beautiful about that joy in partnership. I'm really glad to be working with you, says the apostle. Really glad for, for the way that that's begun and that's continued. Partnership in the gospel. And there's also an expression of a very beautiful confidence. This is the, the motto text this year. I'm not going to say a lot about it today, but perhaps we'll revisit it as we uh, move through Philippians. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, you may have heard this before, but 
very difficult to distinguish in the English translation between a U that's a singular and a U that's a plural. Usually in the letters, when Paul writes about you, he's using not a singular, but he's using a plural, and that's the case here. And he's saying, um, being confident of this, that he who began a good work among you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Now, it does speak about our individual security in Christ, uh, God's commitment to us as individuals. And it's good to know that what God begins, he carries on. But it's also important to recognize that God is, is committed to the local church. He's committed to local churches um, thriving and flourishing. He began a good work on you, in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Now, sometimes churches cease trading. Some individual churches stop worshipping in certain places. They get turned into a carpet warehouse. They get turned into a nightclub or something like that. But it's kind of interesting that the components of the local church, they continue to work. I mean, it's fascinating that in Worthing, um, a local church closed. Um, it used to be in the high street in Worthing. Kind of turned into a, into a nightclub um, uh, and so on. The people who used to meet there, some of them um, worship here. Some of them started a new work in Sompting, the Sompting Community Church. It continues to have a, a great reach. A, a building closed, but the, the work of God continued. The components of that particular work of God continued. It's kind of interesting, when I left Lowestoft, um, things changed there. Uh, one or two people moved away to uh, different things in their work and so on. But it's interesting to see that, um, those people, those people who are still friends, so the people we went to see in Southampton last week were friends from Lowestoft from all those uh, days ago. Um, but they're serving Jesus in the places where they go. So the work that's begun continues. What a great thing it is. There are people who used to meet here at Lansing Tab. They're now in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world. And what begun in this place is continuing. It's being brought to completion in other places. So Paul grounds his confidence in what God is going to do in the faithfulness of God. I'm confident that this God has a commitment which is permanent and unshakable. What he's begun, he will finish. A bit like a mastermind question at the end of a round. Beautifully confident. Paul is confident that God's work will continue amongst them. And beautifully affectionate. Uh, those words there... It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I have you in my heart. Now, Paul was passionate about Jesus. And he was passionate about all those connected with Jesus, and he was passionate about those who have not yet met Jesus. And that 
informed his living and praying and serving. I have you in my heart. Of course, when you have someone in your heart, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in this place, whether you're in your home, in your workplace, or whether you're the other side of the world. If you have someone in your heart, they continue to be there. And your heart continues to interact with them and to work for them. You begin to pray for them. Now, doctors have a certain professional distance. They will speak of the people who come to them as patients. Um, other organizations have people who fulfill a, a professional role and they'll speak about people as clients. Now, when I started the food bank some years ago, I insisted that we didn't call people who use the food bank clients. I'd prefer to call them friends. We've kind of had a bit of a discussion about that over the years. Um, but it's, it's an important distinction. What you say, how you describe people, how you think about people, governs the way you respond to them and, and serve them and pray for them. A pastor, Paul the pastor, does not have a professional distance. Paul the pastor is personal and does wear his heart on his sleeve. I have you in my heart. Uh, some people say that pastors shouldn't show their feelings. They shouldn't have favorites. But of course, here is Paul writing to what perhaps was his favorite church. And it shows because he can't hide how he feels. Someone said to me on my first visit or my first visit to kind of be kind of potentially grilled as a potential pastor. Has God put love in your heart for these people? That's a really good question. A really good question. Of course, 22 years later, I can say very definitely, yes. Yes. Love grows, doesn't it? Love grows with shared life. Love grows as we um, get to know people better, as we see what makes people tick, as we see people in lots of different contexts. I have you in my heart. I long for you with the affection of Christ. Someone said his pulse beats with the pulse of Christ. His heart throbs with the heart of Christ. Sometimes, I've said it too, you know, weddings, we talk about um, a couple getting married. And we talk about the fact that if a couple getting married think of themselves as like a triangle, and with Christ at the top of the triangle, and them at the bottom two corners of the triangle, if um, you kind of imagine that, the higher our affection for Christ, the closer we get to Christ in the triangle, the closer we get to each other. And move up the triangle. You move towards Christ and therefore you move towards each other. And in Paul's thinking, Jesus is the key figure. 
his love for Jesus was overwhelming. And his love for Jesus enabled him to have a capacity to love others. I long for you with all the affection of Christ. There ought to be room in the heart of the believer for everyone that God brings your way. Mentioned um, at Joan's service a couple of weeks ago, um, a lady called Isabella Tree, an environmentalist called Isabella Tree. Uh, yeah, I found it funny. Um, she was adopted as a, as a baby, adopted by an aristocratic family, had everything that she needed, went to best of schools, had everything available to her. But when she was at high school, she began to realize that her identity was somewhat confusing. She was kind of unsure of exactly who she was. She loved her adopted mum and dad, but she was conscious that there was another part of her life that she had not uh, been able to discover. So she asked that she might be able to meet her birth mother, and she did meet her birth mother. But before she did, um, her adopted mother said to her, don't worry about loving us any less when you meet your birth mother. The, the human heart is an amazing thing. It can grow. It can get bigger and bigger. It has infinite possibilities of growth. I long for you with the affection of Christ. There are some people who are great at this, aren't they? That they seem to have love for everyone and a bit like a tube train in London. It's full and yet one more person can get on. And after that, another one can get on. I long for you with the affection of Christ. Of course, we, we can't love other people without his love being at work in us. It's not us. It's him. And Paul will say later on in this letter, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's Jesus that helps the heart increase and the, and the love to be spread. Paul is beautifully prayerful. He ends this section with a prayer. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's one of my favorite prayers of Paul. And if you find yourself praying and you find it difficult to know what to pray, go to some of these letters and find these prayers and use the prayers as your own prayers. They really are great for priming the pump of praying and giving you words and forming your words and your thoughts so that you might pray in an effective way. If we are going to live effective Christian lives, we need wisdom. We need clear discernment. Tom Wright said they lived as we do in a world where several moral issues were blurred and distorted. It's often hard to see what was the right thing to do. We need not only to be loving people, we need to be discerning people. Of course, it can be a challenge, can't it, in life? We have one apple. 
We have two hungry people. Um, we'd love to give everyone an apple. We'd love to teach the world to sing. But we've got one apple. We need discernment. We need wisdom. Well, perhaps like Solomon, we cut the apple in half. And we share it with the two people. Um, life is all about making choices. Love needs to make choices. And for love to make choices, it needs to be able to discern what is best. Notice that Wurzel Gummidge um, has made a return. He was actually on when I, um, when, when I did this series the first time. How convenient he's returned to the screens. Um, he talked about um, the best and the better and the bestest, if you remember, um, perhaps, or if you remember the old one, the new one. Do you know who Wurzel Gummidge is, a, a tramp who comes alive? Well, well, Paul is praying that people might be able to discern what is bestest, discern what's best in a particular situation. Sometimes life is, is not so clear. We don't get a neon light that says, this is it. We need to use wisdom. You see, God gives us wisdom to make good choices. We need moral discernment. Someone said this, that love without moral discernment leads to spoiling and overindulgence of persons and to bad judgment exercised in relationships to those we love. Paul does not encourage sloppy agape, sloppy love, sentimental, undisciplined. Thus he says that he wants the Philippians' love to increase more and more, but not without good moral discernment and understanding. If I receive a request for money through the door for some charity here and there, it might be for a child, it might be for a needy person, I don't feel guilty in putting that in the bin. Because you can't support everything. I, I say to myself, well, okay, I see a child's face there. Um, I have a commitment to a, to, a, to a number of different charitable works amongst children. Compassion, world vision, and in particular, hope for children, which um, I've been involved in, in, in supporting and praying for for over 25 years. And I find... It is much better to avoid the knee-jerk, sentimental response to an immediate need and to conscientiously reflect on a long-term strategy of how you can make a difference in the lives of people in the long term. It's been great at Hope, at Hope for Children. Um, I remember in the early days here as a pastor collecting 474 pairs of socks from the church to take out to um, Hope for Children. You may have contributed socks. Maybe you contributed the ones that have been used. I don't know. But anyway, you, you may have done. But it's great now to see some of the, the people who were children back 25 years ago actually working for Hope for Children and serving other children. Sometimes, sometimes it's, um, it's wise to, to avoid the sentimental knee-jerk response and to pray that God will lead you into something that will be lasting and will make a permanent difference. That's what Paul says. He wants us to be permanently fruitful, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Are you fruitful? 
Is something growing in your life? Thanks for the roses that you've given to Anne. We'll, we'll enjoy those. I was grateful that they were not dead because they wouldn't have had much future, would they? And Anne is good at keeping things alive. What a great job she's done for me. <laughs> Are you fruitful? Are things growing in your life? Um, are you displaying fruit that draws attention to Jesus? Is there a life in you that flows from the grace and peace of God and leads to the glory of God? That's what Paul was thinking about for the Philippians, and that's what I've got in mind for you as a church. I have you in my heart, and if you are in my heart, I want what's best for you. And the best thing is what Jesus wants to do in you. A life handed to him is a life that is completely transformed. Everything is different, and everything is different forever. Put your hand in the hand of Jesus. Love him. Trust him. Follow him today. Amen. Amen. Let's, um, let's stand and sing our final